Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we'll be taking a look at the new animated live-action uh, film, uh, Detective Pikachu. We're also going to take a gander at an old uh, so-and-so film of ours, a favorite here on Offscript, uh, The Shining, Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. There was a 4K screening at the Texas Theater, which is by us. We went and saw it. Arguably, it was the first 4K screening of The Shining in America. We don't know for sure, just arguably. Uh, we're also going to look at some trailers that are coming up soon, some movies to keep an eye out for. Before we get to all of that, we need to talk about the news. The first thing, Disney CEO Bob Iger says the next Star Wars film will come from David Benioff and D.B. Weiss, the the writers of HBO's Game of Thrones. I was going to say authors, but they're not. Uh, Andy, you got the hot scoop on this. Your boy Rian Johnson had something to do with this. Uh, uh, <laughs> what's, what's going on here? That's right. So uh, we were... We were kind of speculating as to who would get this first trilogy. We knew that D.B. Weiss and David Benioff were in one camp and that Ryan Johnson was the other. My guess was that Ryan Johnson was going to get it, but I have been proven wrong. So as you said, the showrunners are, are getting this first trilogy. Um, I'm pretty excited about that. I know that the last kind of a couple of seasons of Game of Thrones have ha- been quite divisive and, and had a lot of uh, not quite as good critical reception but i trust in their ability to tell a story and to especially if they have the time to map out all three films and be in charge of the entire narrative i think we can get some really cool stuff and as we know they know how to write like big battle scenes and those kinds of epic things so i think that they will bring a lot of good things to the property you know, I've heard it said, and this isn't a television podcast, but I've heard it said that there were some people who weren't big fans of the ending of Game of Thrones. Uh, not just the end of, of, of the, the last season, but just the way it kind of seemed to taper off. And I've also heard it said that the reason that is is because David Benioff and D.B. Weiss didn't have the books to go off of that George R. R. Martin had written. They didn't have that framework. Without exactly. having an existing something to build on, they struggled. And I'm wondering if Star Wars might be in the same place possibly i think and and someone brought up a good point is that like what do you where do you go with star wars now what do you even do um it's kind of the same story told over over and over and so i think what you have to do is you know take a page out of j j j g r r martin's book uh that uh that you have to uh, one of the things he did in game of thrones was build a very epic world and backstory this had this very storied history before you even got started and that's what i think you need to do you you need to be heavy with the lore and the relationships and you need to draw in the first movie you need to drop in a world that's already established yeah and i i think the smart move for any star wars film would be avoid the typical star wars tropes i i think it's I think Star Wars is very narrow. People think it's very wide, but every Star Wars film has to have the same beats. It's got to have the Force. It's got to have blasters. It's got to have the Empire Jedis. somewhere along the way. Yeah, like the the world is not that is not as vast as people think it is. It's kind of an illusion. And I think Star Wars, in order to expand, has to grow out. You know, laterally. That's that's what Ryan Johnson. Ryan Johnson. Am I saying Ryan? Wrong? Ryan Johnson. Ryan Johnson was doing every time. That's what Ryan Johnson was doing in episode. Eight, uh, he got a lot of critique for it, but uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, I'm hopeful, I guess. I, I think abandoning the Skywalker, well, concluding the Skywalker storyline is a fine start towards that. What, what do you think? Yes, absolutely. It's like there's one family in the entire galaxy. Definitely needs to expand. We just we need new characters. We need people to care about. We need complex characters. It can't just be this like 
good and good v bad we we need some people that are kind of in the in the middle uh that are kind of messy um that and again i don't know how many sith jedi conflicts you can have and keep it interesting so that's got to be another uh thing uh, to tackle they managed to do it in the games pretty well um but still I, i think it's a real challenge yeah, there's obviously a lot of lore they can build off of. There's a lot of books, there's a lot of comics, and a lot Disney's thrown a lot of those out. But uh, there's a lot of potential for uh, you know growth here. It just depends on where they're going to go with it. And, and they're invested. They're, they're building the new Star Wars Galaxy's Edge Park in Florida. Uh, the new Star Wars film will come out December 22nd. This is whatever's after Episode Nine will come yeah. out December 22nd. Um, they're going to alternate films with Avatar films, which they also have a park for. So Disney Disney's in. On the Star Wars thing, wherever it's going, they're they're like a billion dollars deep now. They gotta, you know, they gotta see it through. So, whatever happens, um, yeah. I th- uh, I know, think what's interesting is is how much we're already talking about the next trilogy and not even like care less about Episode Nine at this point. Yeah, I saw a great uh, Reddit comment. Somebody said, uh, you know, that they watched the trailer for Episode Nine and it was like the conclusion of the exciting saga or whatever. And somebody was like, "Man, it's hard to believe it's the conclusion. We just started getting off the ground." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but. You know, it is what it is, I guess. I guess we'll see. Our next story, Robert Pattinson to play the Batman for Matt Reeves and Warner Brothers. Yes, Twilight's Robert Pattinson, or so people seem to know him. He's actually done a lot since. Everybody forgets because Twilight was a huge cultural phenomenon. Uh, This was a big announcement. uh, Broke a lot of of people on the internet, I think. Andy, any hot takes? I I guess the reception. Let's start there. How did you take it when you heard about it? When I saw this, I was immediately really excited. I was like, he's got the jawline. He's got the, the acting chops. Because you and I and other followers of Bold Cinema will know that Robert Pattinson has done a lot of, of really high-level indie work. And it's a shame that he's only known for the Twilight movies because he's done so much since then. And he's a real serious actor. Um, there's a film right now called The Lighthouse, uh, which is playing at Cannes, which is blowing people away. I don't even know much about it but i've i've just heard great things so i mean he's an incredible actor and i think he he has a potential to bring a lot of depth to the role it's worth mentioning that the lighthouse is uh the second feature directed by robert eggers who formerly did the witch so ah. very exciting yeah uh i really do want to see that movie yeah he's done great work i remember seeing this i think i got it in a, in a group text with you and a few other people this is where i saw it. i don't know if you were the first to post i think you were the first to post it um i was immediately excited. i was like oh awesome I didn't see it coming. It's a surprise. He'll be a great fit. Like, that's awesome. I, I know the other front runner is or was. It's debated whether or not. Jake I Gyllenhaal. I think this is finalized. Yeah. yeah. Jake Gyllenhaal was a big one. Nicholas Holt was supposed to be in the running to play Batman. And I thought he was a little too, I hate to say soft. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, it's like you said, it's the jawline, man. Robert Pattinson's <laughs> razor sharp. He's got those cheekbones. You can't, you can't beat it. But it comes down to wearing the cowl. Yeah, he's got hero chin, man. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I, I like Pattinson because he's a little younger. I know Batfleck, they were going for an older, stronger Batman, but, like, this is, what a great direction to go in. If, you, if you're going to try to kind of go a different way with Batman, like, this is a fine start. And who knows, maybe they'll uh, maybe they'll embrace the um, the Joker kind of, what, who, Todd Phillips, that's what I'm looking for. Maybe they'll go the Todd Phillips way and just do a totally different kind of yeah, offshoot thing. In, in-depth character study, yeah. I swear to God, if I got to watch the Waynes die one more time on screen, though. Yeah, freak out. <laughs> the, I, I saw a great thread where they're like, oh, no, I guess we're going to see slow motion pearls breaking and uh, <laughs> people falling over and that gunshot. You know, it's just, it's been done to death. Um, and Any. 
Go ahead. Well, the other thing I was going to mention uh, is that the villains were recently named that they were going to be the Penguin and Catwoman. And this is kind of disappointing to me because that's basically Batman Returns. Yeah, I forgot about that. They did name the villains because you were talking about what you thought would be a good villain for the, for the, for this film. That's right. Yeah. Um, Clayface. Drop, Clayface. I was going to say, you, you want to drop a hot take on the podcast? Yeah. Clayface. I thought the same thing. This is my first thought. I was like, Clayface would be great. Basil Carlo, uh, yeah. Uh, Hugo Strange. I would love to see, and I know they'll never do it, uh, Solomon Grundy. Huge favorite of, of, of Batman villains and like never gets any love. Uh, the, 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 the ventriloquist guy. He's mm-hmm. great. Like, there's so much potential. Riddler. Why, oh, my God. Yeah. Why go with the same same so-and-sos, you know? So it is, it is what it is, I guess. That's but. that's part I, of what, what made The Dark Knight Rises so intriguing was that they were doing Bane, and Bane hadn't had, had never been done on the big screen properly. Right. You know? And that's the other thing <laughs> is, like, you, you already did Catwoman in The Dark Knight Rises, so, yeah. Did you see Batman Forever? How dare you? Yeah. It's a back credit card. Yeah. Uh, okay. Our last story, Sony Interactive launches a unit to adapt games for film and TV. Uh, PlayStation Productions, headed by Asad Kazilba, I can't say it, and overseen by SIE Chairman. Just a couple of guys are going to make PlayStation Productions, essentially, for Sony. They're going to develop and produce projects based on the company's catalog of more than 100 games. Andy, you found this story. You told me about it before we got started. I laughed and said, what? Now I'm reading it. What am I getting into? <laughs> okay. So video games to film adaptations are nothing new. They're usually pretty bad, and they have a very bad reputation. We have yet to see a, a properly made uh, video game adaptation. Uh, so Sony has created PlayStation Productions for exactly that. They're going to be, be making films, films and TV shows based on their... Uh, you know, 25 years worth of, of gaming properties. And they're hoping that because it's their properties and they have a better insight into the the fans and the community that they can pull together some half-decent movies based on, on those properties. It's, uh, it's a long shot, man. Video game movies historically do not do that fantastic. Speaking of Detective Pikachu review, following this story shortly. But uh, it's it's a long road, man. It's It's so difficult to adapt... A gameplay feeling to a film like it's just it's just a different medium it's it's almost like comic books and film like there's a way to do it and the formula hasn't quite been worked out yet it's just a challenge so uh they've certainly got a lot to go but that being said sony does have some incredible properties and they put together some really incredible work so there's certainly potential for good storytelling yeah, I, I think the I think the biggest issue is that um, you know in the article they said they said the directors and writers clearly don't know the property or the the audience very well and that's debatable. But I think that we haven't gotten something that really tells the story. It's most of the time when I see a video game adaptation, they're trying to like do all this tongue in cheeks things like recreate gameplay, and it's like no one cares about the gameplay. We want to see the story. Like the story needs to be told, and that that always seems to take a backseat to the. Um, you know, the gimmicks. I th- I'm thinking of, of Tomb Raider right now. Yeah, or Rampage. <laughs> uh, exactly. Yeah, and if I can, if I can uh, wax gamer for a second here, uh, a couple of things. One, with a name like PlayStation uh, uh, Productions, you make me think there's going to be a PlayStation universe. I say that because I remember when PlayStation Battle All Stars Royale. PlayStation All-Stars Battle Royale came out, and it was a bunch of PlayStation characters that's supposed to be, like, Super Smash Brothers, right? Yeah. And, like, Nathan Drake from Uncharted was in it, and, like, like obviously you've got your you've got your big headliners, so you're going to try to make films off of those, and with a studio that's running all of these under one banner, why wouldn't you put them all together, right? 
the other thing, it's worth mentioning that in May of 2016, Nintendo said uh, when asked about the Detective Pikachu movie that they were they were going to watch and they were going to see. And they, were, they said, we're going to wait and we're going to see how it does. And if it does okay, maybe we'll make a Super Mario film. They, they'd been talking about thinking about this in 2016. Their last video game film before that was Super Mario Brothers in 93 with Bob Costas and Dennis so Hopper. Bizarre. So Real bizarre. Real bizarre. How bizarre. Uh, and that's... That's what they were going for. So it's worth mentioning, three years ago, Nintendo said publicly, we might be making video game films, and now PlayStation is opening a studio, and this is shortly after the release of Detective Pikachu. So they're looking at each other. Who knows what they're doing? PlayStation is, of course, backed by Sony, who does Sony Pictures, who I hate, but puts out good films, like it or not. Uh, so I don't know. I, I guess we'll see. Do Do you have a, a property you would like to see um, adapted from the playstation catalog i suppose i suppose the big one is uncharted right it's the most cinematic of of their stuff uh the last basically anything made by naughty dog the last of us would be great um you know nintendo again not to get too too gamer here but when when nintendo makes a video game they start with a gameplay concept and then they they add in the rest like super mario right they wanted mario to jump and when he jumps he lands on enemies and that's that's the whole mechanic you jump your guy jumps. He's Jumpman. Yeah. Uh, where Naughty Dog, right, who makes games for Sony, they go the other way. They start with a story, and then they build the game around it. And so their games are very story-driven, and if you already have a story-driven game, it would be easy to adapt that story into a film. Now, that being said, you don't need to do, like, the Doom film with Carl Urban and The Rock did back in the day where they have the first-person sequence. Like, when you make Uncharted, you don't need to have an 11-minute climbing sequence on the side of the Yeah, we, we, we don't need gameplay. Right. right, we never did. Like, and, and Tomb Raider kind of suffered from that because it had set pieces from the game. It didn't feel like gameplay, but, like, there were bits when you're just like, okay, like, I this is gratuitous, you know, like, it doesn't... You got to separate that and still make it compelling. And that's very, very hard to do if history is any indicator. So I guess uh, good luck to PlayStation Productions. I can't wait to see what they do first. Uh, uh, for, yeah. for me, for me, it would be a Metal Gear Solid. Ooh. Oh, calling your shot. I love Metal <laughs> Gear Solid. Oh, man. I didn't think about that. Yeah, I forgot you're a big Metal Gear Solid 5 fan. Anyway, uh, probably enough of the video game chat on the show. But we'll talk about that. We'll talk about this off. off off air. All right. I, I, I want to I get your thoughts about this. Anyway, uh, we should move on to our first film of the episode. This is, um, I hate to say Nintendo. I'm just, I just want to go for it. This is uh, Pokemon Detective Pikachu. Oh, jeez. Here we go. I know. You can't understand me. But put down the stapler or I will electrocute you. So Detective Pikachu starts with the story of Ace Detective Harry Goodman, uh, a crack shot detective with a, with a sparkling record in Rhyme City, a, a fictional, a futuristic uh, kind of a fictional futuristic city uh, full of people and Pokemon where they live in harmony. Pokemon, of course, are the video game characters, little animal kind of creatures that have powers and they're adorable and you catch them and then you have one as your partner, whatever. Um, in Rhyme City, right, Pokemon and people live together. Squirtle, uh, little, little water Pokemon will, will be on, on the, the, uh, the, the volunteer fire department, right? And they'll, they'll spray fires out. <laughs> and these, these, these big Pokemon with big arms will direct traffic because they have these big arms and can do that. Right. And like people walk around and they like interact with them. And like, it's this sweet, sweet whole thing. 
anyway, Detective Harry Goodman goes missing, and his son, 20-year-old Tim, 21-year-old Tim Goodman, who does not have a Pokemon and does not want anything to do with Pokemon, uh, has to go go to Rhyme City and collect his belongings. And when he arrives there, he stumbles onto a a funny Pikachu uh, that is a detective, voiced by Ryan Reynolds. Uh, and, and the two of them get swept off on an adventure to find uh, uh, Pikachu's owner and subsequently uh, his, his, his uh, detective, uh, Harry Goodman. And that's that's the whole bag, right? <laughs> right. Uh, there, there's there's characters and mis- what a clumsy uh, summary. There's characters and misadventures and Pokemon and cute things to be had and a, and a, and a goofy uh, a goofy kind of affable antagonist. It's 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 a whole thing, Detective Pikachu. And let me tell you, this movie is totally hit or miss for me. It's one of these movies people either really liked it or really didn't like it. It feels like it's got a seven out of ten on IMDb. Andy. Where do you land on Pokemon Detective Pikachu? Okay, so first I'm going to give my background in in the, in all things you Pikachu, should. which should. is absolutely nothing. So when when Pokemon came out, I was a cool middle schooler, and Pokemon is what all the elementary school kids were doing. Where that that's the TV show they watch. That's that they traded cards. It was uh, beneath me. <laughs> right. Or so I thought. And so, and so I and so I never got into the to the property, never played the games, don't know anything. I mean, it, it's one of these things that's prevalent enough. I know some of the the Pokemon, but I don't I don't know anything about it. Um never played it. So I didn't really know uh what to think. I the, I it wasn't really that appealing to me uh, to be honest, but uh we had some issues with the John Wick 3, <laughs> namely that we had not seen the other films, so that's why we did this. Um I really, really liked it. <laughs> it was a good. Yeah. It was a good time, and I didn't. I didn't really expect it to. And it, uh, the reason it it works is because it has all those elements of cinema that we look for. And yes, it's aimed at young, younger audiences, but it had you know good characters. It had a solid central conflict. It it had a good pacing and plot. It had action. It had hints of romance because it's PG. Um, it, it had mood, it had uh, atmosphere, it had all these things that, that we look for in, in proper ad- adult movies, And but it was just aimed at kids, and I, I actually ended up re- uh, really liking it. The uh, the central performances by um, uh, Justice Smith and uh, Catherine Newton are very good. We get some conflicts between the, the friends, the, our characters have to grow and change to kind of overcome different things. We get some incredible effects, like the animation is is pretty stunning and it it um you know it's hard to tell that it's mixed in with with real life because it's it mixes so well um also just like i said the atmosphere the, the city really blew me away because it, it has its own identity and i kept thinking i was like this is like junior blade runner <laughs> like this this city is like that <laughs> engrossing to me so i um i really enjoyed it and i did not expect to uh, so I should jump in here and give my background before I get into it, because that matters in some capacity. It probably shouldn't for any good film, but, you know, here we are. Uh, I was born in 92. I did not have a home game console, but I had a Game Boy when I was a kid, and Pokemon Red came out, and it lit the world on fire. And I got it, and I was totally in on the Pokemon thing. Had the cards, had the games, watched the show, like, totally. I'm pretty sure I dressed up as, as, as Ash for Halloween one year, like just totally went for it. And, and, uh, so, so I'm, I'm relatively invested, but I've gotten older and, and I'm not as into it anymore. Uh, Christine's into it a bit more than I am. She actually still plays uh, some of the games. Uh, so going in, you know, I was a little skeptical. I was like, well, it'll be nostalgic and it'll be fun. And, and to be clear, this film is made for children. So 
it's it, you can't really you know you can't get that harsh on it because it's not made for adults. Um, but for a nostalgia romp for a a hour forty five that is fun and engaging and and a great popcorn flick like this movie checks all the boxes it's it's a lot of fun it's a good date night movie probably great to take your kids to like man i'm really impressed it is one of the more impressive video game films i've ever seen um it's adapted so well and it works so perfectly and and somehow like it's like we said not trying to make a video game trying to make a story within a world like works so much better exactly than just yeah. trying to adapt the story straight and we should talk about that but first things first the pokemon the yeah. world uh-huh. you, you already said you already said the cgi looks great it blends in i want to build on that but just any immediate thoughts let's talk about rhyme city the setting just the, the look and the feel of it you know yeah again it looks like this bustling metropolitan where pokemon and humans uh, live in harmony um i i wasn't really convinced by the trailers of ryan reynolds as pikachu the the voice just didn't match but in the film it completely does um and we meet you know a number of other pokemon um my i don't even know anything but like psyduck is like my (laughs) my favorite character now (laughs) like i was like i totally understand his stress and his like desire to constantly (laughs) chill out (laughs) i get it yeah um, man, I, I liked so much about the presentation of this movie. The lighting is very striking. It is dark, but it's, it's, it's like noir junior. It was really cool. Yeah. Like that, that's something that's worth mentioning. Yeah. They really lean into the detective part of this. And the part of the reason it felt kind of like Blade Runner is because it, it apes a lot of what Blade Runner does as far as presentation of story goes. Like it's got a, it's got a dashing reporter who's getting the scoop and it's got a, you know, a detective who's on the case and, and a villain who, may or may not really be and, and who's who's who and who's the bat like it's great and like for kids getting into this stuff like that's a really great place to start like I think there will be kids that watch this and go like I really like this movie what's another good movie like this maybe it'll lead somebody to Blade Runner one day the Pokemon are not directly adapted from the source material they're not cartoony they're not goofy they're not big big and overblown they actually are very furry and hairy and they look very like proportionally realistic to something that I'm like okay sure like, I can kind of get into that, you know, and and somehow it works in the world of the film. And, and part of the reason Reynolds' performance works so well is because he in no way, like, butchers or chops up, like, the presentation of the character. When he says Pokemon, he doesn't say what everybody his age does, which is Pokemon, it's Pokemon. He says it like kids say it. He says it like how it's popular. At one point, he he's humming the theme song from the show, <laughs> and it's exactly verbatim the show like just totally works like they so they really went to the trouble to build out that lore in the universe and like let people know hey we're really respecting the property and building in it like here is a story within this world and like it totally works for an hour 45 film like you're completely immersed in it I, i couldn't believe how well it worked well also they do the things we do get some nods to the to the games themselves but they they fit into the movie so well like you don't mind like they come up with some excuses for you to have some pokemon battles but they they feel organic and they they fit the the plot line yeah it's a smart presentation uh rhyme city because it's a it's it's a the only city in the world where pokemon and people live among each other pokemon like there's no there's there's supposed to be no battling of course there is you've seen the trailer but that's part of the whole deal so like what is a core tenement of the games is pretty much removed from the outset you can't fight 
so like suddenly you have to approach it from a really different way and it's it's a very clever adaptation uh i I do want to talk about justice smith and you know her name i missed it uh catherine newton catherine newton justice smith all right he's got better i could take him or leave him Catherine newton i really struggled with she was her character is kind of clumsy and ditzy already so i think that was part of the whole spiel but like i'm just not familiar with her and and when she showed up in screen at first at first i thought she was miley cyrus for a minute i was like who am i i I did think that initially yeah uh but i I came around on her there's a charm there and you really fall for the pokemon in the world if if not the people (laughs) like you can get behind the adorable animals uh and that really helps like sell the experience and kind of get you into the film Mm mm-hmm I, I, we also have a, a uh, I was surprised by this surprise Suki Waterhouse as the uh, yeah she's the person with that has well she wears glasses like dark sunglasses the whole time so like you can't see her face and when you do it's really creepy so, uh, but you know she's in the film yeah uh, I, I, I like the action the pace was good like I said it, it moves very quickly for an hour 45 and some people have said it's predictable parts are parts of it are predictable there, yeah. there were a couple. I, I, I leaned over to Christina, and made two predictions while we were watching the movie. One of them came true, the other one didn't. Which yeah. is a fine, yeah, a fine, a fine way to enter. Like some, some parts you see coming from a mile away, other parts you don't. It's a children's film. You yeah, know, I was gonna exactly like you're, you're not looking for a Shyamalan esque twist in a PG film aimed at audiences thirteen and under, right? You know? And like you said, this is like it's bold cinema junior. It's, it's a film aimed at young audiences that has all the elements we look for in good movies that will hopefully help them become more mature film goers Mm -hmm. mature. And, and it's funny being a noir kind of film. There are a couple twists and like, yeah, they're not set up great. Yeah. They're clumsy, but like they're fun. And again, if you're, if you're just hanging out at the the movies, if you're not going for anything really bold or dynamic, like, yeah, you'll, you'll have a good time. Like I, I was, surprised at how much i enjoyed it uh, the music forgettable like i said the lighting was iffy but but bold bold uh, bold lighting i like that um what do you think of the action sequences you know i i thought they worked i guess i was whelmed to, to lift the term <laughs> from you uh you know I, I i wasn't blown away uh there were there were parts that i thought okay well that simply doesn't make sense um but it, you know, it works. It works. CGI heavy. I guess that's the way it's gonna go. You know. Um. But it functions, and you have fun. And I'm not. I'm not sitting there rolling my eyes. Like I'm watching the screen. I'm into it. You know. I, I'm not glued to my seat. But like, it's a fun flick. Like I, you know, it's good. Yes. Yeah. What do you think? No, I really enjoyed it too. And there's a setup that you know is coming, but when it happens, I was really surprised. So there's there's a part, kind of in the, midway through the film, they they find out that there's the this you know experimentation going on, and there's part where they say oh well those those guys look normal they they must not they must be okay and then there's a payoff to that later and that was really over the top and really surprised me and i was like wow that's (laughs) that's a pretty big leap so even though you know that it's this this is a setup and that it's going to come in later this the payoff was done really well right and and you could like if you're you know being an adult you could easily nitpick that stuff well that doesn't make any sense that doesn't, and I've seen people that have done that. You're just driving yourself crazy. It's a, it's a kids movie. It's a fun kids movie. Like I I points. I I liked. It. I was into it. So I, I shoot. I hate to act like I don't have any, any more to say, but I, <laughs> I don't know. What do you think? Um. Well, I mean, we've talked about plot characters. Uh. What What about the bad guys? We had uh, 
or, or some of the, I guess, more adult figures. Yeah, antagonistic we, we, characters, we should say. Yeah, yeah. we have uh, Ken Watanabe as uh, Lieutenant uh, Yoshida and Bill Nye as kind of this, uh, as Howard Clifford, who's this big, uh, you know, business mega conglomerate CEO type figure. You know, Ken Watanabe felt a little underused. Um, I'm going to be honest. He's on screen. He, he appears on two sets in the film. Uh, there's an exterior set he shows up on and an <laughs> interior set he shows up on. That is it. He's not walking through scenes. He's not present. Much. So, like, in a lot of ways, I'm like, okay, well, what was the deal here? Like, did you... And and Bill Nye's kind of the same way. He's he's not he's not on on screen that much either. But again, the movie's not about them. It's about the Pikachu and mm-hmm. then you know the kid and the, like that's that's the focus. So good. Uh, I I wish I guess I wish they'd been stretched a little bit more. You know they they flex their flex their chops a bit. I, I should bring it back around to uh, Ryan Reynolds, who like you said uh, was not convincing in trailers, but um, great performance by him holds down the role uh he, he really brings a lot of of heart and and character to that character um it works very effectively what did you think um yeah i i thought uh ken watanabe is almost too good he's he's you know a very serious actor so it's it's almost very serious it's almost a little bit too it, it wasn't over the top but it's just uh, it almost seems out of the place because he's just like so serious and so kind of dramatic um and Bill Nye's fine. He's all, he's all he's great in in everything, and you know has fun with with the role as as much as you can. And again, always remembering that it, it is a kids' film. And again, yeah, and it's and again, creepy Suki Waterhouse showing up out of nowhere. Yeah, I'm I'm concerned about her and the work. Is she still getting work? Like, what's what's going on with her? Because she was in Assassination Nation, which didn't do great. Now she's in this as basically a cameo role. Like, you wouldn't even know it was her. Um. She all right? Everything cool? Suki Waterhouse? You know? <laughs> I don't know. I'll take her. I'll check her IMDb. <laughs> you should. Yeah, she's her. She's probably hurting. Uh, anyway, I I I was so surprised by this movie yeah, in the most charming way. I, I when it gets to the credits, which are really really cool and artistic and dynamic, the credits feature a lot of stuff from the games, and it breaks out into game footage. And I I had to like snap back to reality. Like, oh yeah. Right, these are tied to video games. Like the the world really stands on its own in a surprising way, and I think I think that's part of the reason you were able to enjoy it so much, even though you you're not familiar with the property or any of that. Like, yeah, exactly. It it felt like a real world. Yeah, I was really impressed. It, it is a, it's not a masterclass in how to adapt a, a a world for for a film, but it's certainly a good good one on one. I think. Um, any other thoughts for recommendations? I think I'm ready. Andy, would you recommend Detective Pikachu? Uh, yeah, I, I definitely would. It, it was a lot of fun. It's, again, definitely aimed at kids, but uh, adults can enjoy it as well. So take the kids, take your nephews, take your friends. Um, it, it is, like you said, it is a good date movie. It's a nice, safe movie. You know, you always you can always do a risk, especially I've made that mistake where I want to go see some bold cinema, and that's like that can be a mistake on a, on a first date. Um uh, ask me about the skin I live in sometime. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, can, you, can you hit me with a good, the skin I live in is a good one. That's a great one. Yeah. Um, so, but, but do keep in mind, I mean, it is a, this property aimed at kids, so it may not be your bag, but, um, I didn't think it was mine and I still really enjoyed it. Hmm. I, I am in the same boat. I, I think it's a ton of fun. I think it's fun if you have other people, 
even then, you know, it's it's charming and fun. Christine and I were there, there were a couple other people in our theater, but they were way in the back, so we were like making little whispers and comments to each other the whole movie. Like it was a lot of fun, you know. Look at that, and you know, it's just there's a lot visually going on. It's engaging. It's funny. It's charming. It's got a lot of heart. It's got a lot of character. Totally worth the price of admission. Does that even Pikachu worth your time? Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's that's Detective Pikachu. We should move on to our next section of the show. Andy, please, you want to do the honors? It's time for the trailer part. Oh, so uh, this week we're going to just be talking about two trailers. And uh, the first one is the full-length Red Band trailer for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Anybody order fried sauerkraut? Which is the um, the newest, the ninth film from Quentin Tarantino. So this trailer just came came out today, and it gave us more insight into this story, which seems to f- uh, focus on Leonardo DiCaprio's character Rick Dalton, who seems to be a a, a star, but a star that's falling, an aging uh, kind of Hollywood star who's trying to get back to to glory, and he has Brad Pitt as his. Uh, stunt double uh to kind of help him along the way and this is all tied into uh the manson murders and sharon tate as as we see a little bit more of uh played by margot robbie uh zach what do you think man i like this trailer a lot i like the teaser but it, it was it was just that a teaser and i almost forgot about it because i was like yeah it's fine and then this morning when i saw the the, the trailer uh posted um, I, I kind of did a double take cause was, didn't I already see that? I thought, no, no, no. I just saw the teaser and I watched it. Um, I'm, I'm stoked, man. I, <laughs> I don't, I, and it's funny cause I feel like personally, I, I would, I would not enjoy spending time with Quentin Tarantino as a person, <laughs> but man, every movie comes out with him. like, well, going to see that. That'll be awesome. Whatever that's about. You know, I, I, I love his style. I love DiCaprio and he's got, it appears, I know it's real early to start calling shots here, but it really looks like DiCaprio's got that, like, uh, pompous uh, Hollywood star who's now down on his luck and doesn't know how to handle it attitude really going for him. Totally. And I love that. Yeah, like, that's good. that's such great setup for comedy. Like, I and, and DiCaprio's great at that stuff. That's that's part of the reason I love The Wolf of Wall Street so much. I love that movie. Yeah. Um, Brad Pitt looks great, as always. Hard to believe he's, what, 55? He's walking his around whole, this movie shirtless. Like, are you kidding? His whole career is just like being the coolest guy on screen. Yeah, it really is. Like, it, I'm that's. Like, I'm like, how, just, how how are you still the coolest guy on on screen after 30 years, man? Like, it's not fair. Yeah, just oozes <laughs> charisma, and he's supposed to play second fiddle to DiCaprio in this film, right? He's a stunt double. That's the whole deal. And even then, he's wearing sunglasses all the time. Just like, God, that guy's cool. Like, he just. It just seems so neat. Uh, I'm so interested to see Margot Robbie under the direction of Tarantino. Tarantino is notoriously difficult to work with, and I'm not saying Margot Robbie's not up to the challenge. I'm saying I, I bet she is, and I can't wait to see it uh, as as Sharon Tate. It's funny. I remember watching the trailer. I was like, you know, Sharon Tate, that name rings a bell, and I know why. And I worry for other people who don't know why. I shouldn't. I shouldn't say. Um, but that you know, it's it's rooted in Hollywood history, right? That's part of the deal. Like it's supposed to be. That's exactly it. So, um, so something that stood out from the trailer and that Tarantino does in all of his films, he references himself or his other films a lot. Okay. Um, you hold, know, hold on. Yeah, I'll bite. What do you mean? Um, in in this trailer, do you, do you mean in general? Uh, 
in general, I guess. But now that I think about it, I can think. I think I can think of the scene in this trailer. I was like, okay, I see exactly what's going so on he, here. So he he I mean, he, he was one of the first people to kind of do this this uh, expand, you know, connected universe. He he references other characters or characters from his other films or brands, things like Red Apple cigarettes show up in all his films. Um, you know, th- there's a uh, there's a connection between Django Unchained and Pulp Fiction through uh, uh, the Christopher Walken's character uh, Koontz. His he his ancestor is named in Django Unchained. Like, there's all these kinds of of right. small. So this is a little bit more blatant, but there's a scene that looks like it's just it's straight out of uh, Inglorious Bastards. Inglorious Bastards. Yeah. Yep. So it like even in the trailer, he's already being self-referential, which I thought was a uh, pretty tongue-in-cheek. But I'm right. in- I'm interested to see all that stuff as well. All all the Tarantino is. I, I predict this will have an incredible soundtrack. There will be way too much dialogue, but I'll love it anyways. By the way, this is two hours and forty minutes. Yep, that's what I'm talking about. I was like, this better be just shy of three. That's what I always want. Big big fat Tarantino picture. I love it. Uh, I hate Tarantino. I can't wait to see it. <laughs> <laughs> Tarantino is like like Hitchcock, right? He's one of those directors. I, every time I think of, I think of that scene from Anchorman with Vince Vaughn when he's like, "I pure straight outright hate you, but damn, do I respect you." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I, I I hope it's cool, man. It looks rad. The teaser looks good. I'm excited about everybody in it. There's a couple people in the trailer I don't recognize, so I'm like, I don't know if you're. Yeah, makeup or, or if you're just a new person, I, I'm not sure. But um, so I, he, did you have that? Am I wrong? Well, here's some interesting things. So, so some of the other people that show up, uh, James Marsden, Dakota Fanning, Timothy Oliphant, Tim Roth, uh, Al Pacino, Kurt Russell, Luke Perry. I mean, the, 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 and these are people that, that we've not really seen before um, in any of the trailers. And yeah, it's really great. And um, Kurt Russell, funny enough, he he looks like he's playing his same character from um, Death Proof. Death Proof. Yeah. Yeah. So I, again, the, with the self referential ism, um, yeah, I'm stoked. This movie just keeps getting better and better the more we look at it. Yeah, it looks rad. And and we know Hollywood, man, they love self referential films. So I'm sure it'll do great. Uh, reviews are just starting to, as of recording, reviews are just starting to roll in from Cannes, I think. Uh, so, I, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. It's ninth and rumored penultimate film. Uh, our next trailer, you mind if I take this one? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, our next trailer is a Netflix original film called Always Be My Maybe. Wow, that's, that's so great. We have the most insane freaky ass sex i can't even talk about it otherwise yeah let's stop talking about it i can just stick like always be my baby in this podcast right that's fine sure (laughs) yes uh so always be my maybe is the story of i don't actually know her name ali wong's character uh she she is a young woman who is engaged uh who stumbles into an old flame uh and 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 after being broken up with uh by by her fiance uh reignites the spark with with her old her old maybe that's the whole deal a uh, couple of, of celebrity cameos in here one very big one towards the end um i i guess it's worth just dropping uh keanu reeves is in this film he looks like he just walked off the set of john wick which is fantastic because john yeah. wick is out right now um it, brilliant timing on this trailer this trailer was super well received a lot of people are into this movie like Twitter was all about it. Like, oh man, this movie looks great. Um, what's going on here, Andy? Why do people like this? 
Um, well, hey, it just it looks really funny. It looks like a good comedy. And you know, w- one thing that's important to point out: this is uh, the two stars are are it's two Asian leads. It's not something that's done a lot, especially in the uh, the rom com uh, genre. But you know, kind of back uh, backpacking off the success of Crazy Rich Asians from last summer. Uh, you know, the, it's it seems appropriate. It seems it seems normal. Um, Randall I Park. Did, did I, I was gonna say Randall Park. I didn't say yeah. Randall Park. He he plays her, you know. Will they? Won't they? Um, love interest, and I mean, he's hilarious in everything. I can't think of a movie he's been in that I haven't laughed at a lot. And Ali Wong, I'm not familiar with her work, but if she's the the, I mean, because she's a stand up uh, right. comedian, so so for her to get a lead role like this, I, um, she must be doing uh, good work. Yeah, I'm excited. Uh, it looks like a lot of fun. Like, what a great what a great Netflix film. Because if it had come out in theaters, I'm sure it had done okay. But, like, Netflix, people are going to watch this. Like, just a great, like, a fine example of a film that's coming on Netflix and people are actually stoked for. It's not just, you know, some other movie that rolls on there. Um, so, yeah, it, it looks real sharp. It looks funny. Uh, Randall Park looks like he's doing great Randall Park. Um, yeah. I wish I wish more people were into him, man. He doesn't get enough credit. He's, he's good. He, Randall Park's sharp. He's, he's, he's a good dude. Um... Keanu Reeves looks hilarious. Uh, uh, it even features uh, Jin from Lost is in this. So uh, <laughs> it looks like it checks all the boxes. And I wonder when I look at a trailer like this, like I know Netflix kind of does that, that like it's not intentional marketing, but they, they, they market around demographics, right? They look at data and what people are watching and they say, okay, we want to make a movie that checks these boxes. It, it, it's, it reaches this demographic. It's a rom-com. It's funny. It's got, an action start. Like, I wonder how much of this is like data. Cause it really does seem like you looked at the cinema landscape right now and you were like, okay, it needs to have this, this, and this, and it'll, and it'll be, it'll work. Right. It needs to have Asian leads. It needs to be a rom-com throw, throw a little action in there on the end, make it really funny. Like two, two comedians, like it'll be great. I know it's, I know it's time tested formula, but like it, this, this one really does seem like it's landing. at such a smart time. Am I wrong? Is that just me? No, I mean, the the trailer was huge. I, I, I remember I saw a post about this trailer. I was like, I'm not going to watch that. But then it, it was everywhere. People were writing articles and posting about it. So I was like, okay, I'll, I'll check, out, check it out. I'll see what this is about. Yeah, and it looks real sharp. So <laughs> always be my maybe. Keep an eye that's, out, I guess. That's next week, yeah. We might. Is it next week? Yeah, that's oh, next God. Friday, yeah. <laughs> All right, well, maybe we'll uh, next week. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> We're talking about it like it's going to be awesome. We're like, yeah, we'll see if it's on the show. All right, anyway. Uh, I guess that's it for the trailer part. Keeping it brief this week. Andy, um, please t- t- take it away. One review to go. All right. So uh, our, our second review here today is uh, The Shining. Which we have done before, but um, we, Jack and I, got a chance to see a special screening this weekend at uh, the historic Texas Theater in Oak Cliff, Texas. Uh, they were doing the the 4K, uh, I guess, release of this film, um, and so we went out there on Saturday night, and it was it was a whole ordeal. It it, it was the buzz of the cinema, unlike <laughs> anywhere else. Any the kind of thing you can't get at at a mainstream place. Uh, so I got there. There was a line out the door to get tickets. They're, they had a, a special bar set up, and, the, and their waiter was dressed like Lloyd in the uh, from The Shining. They had they had I think probably an original poster, um, which was incredibly faded yellow, 
um, as well as, <laughs> and they had this whole gold room thing next to to the bar uh, before the uh, the film started. Um, and then they they also had this really cool uh, ad that they had made to rem- remind you to tip your bartender, and it, they had gotten some local actors to reenact the bar scene uh, from the film. So it was it was really this whole atmospheric thing. And then finally we get into the movie, which had been, uh, you know, rescanned for 4K and also the sound had been redone for 5.1. Um, and then we, we got we got to it. And of, of course, the, the story of The Shining is uh, sort of the Torrance family going to spend the winter in the Overlook Hotel up in the Colorado Mountains, where uh, the father, Jack Torrance, slowly loses his mind and attempts to murder uh, the family. Um <laughs> So it was a it was a great time, uh, Zach. Why don't you talk about uh, your experience with uh, the whole thing Saturday night? Well, we should talk about yeah, start talk about the the theater experience before we get into the film. Sure, because that that is a big part of this. Like we should say, um, the Texas theater is a blast, man. I I I look for reasons to go out there because I like I like it so much. You're absolutely right. It just it feels maybe it's the history, maybe it's the musty smell, the crappy seats. But like it, it feels like you're really a part of something out there. Like and, and cinema, it's a very old thing, right? Cinema's been around for over a hundred years. And like it really it's just it just I don't know, it taps into something deeper when you're there and, and, and you can tell the people that run the joint are just so in, in invested in this stuff and art house and they, they, they really appreciate the the bold of bold cinema. So they had done a lot of shining screenings before. They've done a lot. They 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 came out. The guy who owns the place came out and did a whole thing on the mic beforehand and explained where the print was from and how they got it and and how it was remastered by by Kubrick's personal assistant Leon Vitale and how Can had premiered it the night before and this was the first night anybody in America could premiere it. So he doesn't know that this is the first U.S. screening of The Shining in 4K, but. It might be, so enjoy, you know, and like just gets everybody fired up and they got the, the bar set up and all the drinks and they had these cool screen prints and like, man, it's it's just such an experience to go see a film. And then when the lights go down and it actually gets rolling and that 5.1 surround sound kicks in and that, 4 point, that, that, that 4K aspect ratio kicks on and you see that beautiful gliding footage of the opening of the film, like it just, it gets you so ready in a way that like so many theaters just cannot replicate and you can't get that at home. That's an experience I can't have at home. And I love that. Because I can watch The Shining at home. I can watch it with my surround sound headphones and get all into it all by myself and be creeped out. But, like, it's not the same as the silver screen. And, like, whenever I go to the Texas theater, that's when I feel like I can kind of get behind why Spielberg fights so hard to kill Netflix. <laughs> because he's got this romantic idea of it. And if, if, if every time one of the movies was like that, I'd be into it too. So yeah, th- sorry, that's the Texas theater. We should probably move on to The Shining. But any other thoughts for you before we get into the film? Yeah, the the sound definitely makes a huge difference because I've watched The Shining numerous times at, at home as well. But to see it on the big screen and to have the sound be blurring, it was, it was like when we saw 2001 uh, at the Texas theater. It's, I was like, that's a totally different experience than you sitting at home. Totally. And it, it's similar to Climax as well because we saw that at the Texas theater. Um, my one concern for all of those, and I realize the Texas theater would probably rattle to the freaking ground if they did it, but I almost wish it could be louder. Like, I just wish I could be just washed in that in that sound, you know, and like just really, really get into it because the rest of it's such an engaging experience. Um, I, we should talk about, I, I, I don't know, a, br- a brief overview of The Shining. I think we've actually reviewed The Shining on the show before. Yeah, we, yeah, we have. 
Um, uh, any hot takes? Well, well, so it's interesting because I always catch some new things every time I watch it. Um, and I'm also coincidentally, I've been reading The Shining all year because I, I take forever to, to finish a book. Um, but I was recently on a plane, so I, I got to read a little bit more of it, particularly the end. Um, and, and it's real interesting because it does kind of make the, the film it fleshes it out more things like the shining itself uh the the you know kind of psychic ability are fleshed out more in in the book like it's more uh, it's not just mind reading it's also being able to feel what other people are feeling so i was just kind of paying attention uh to that uh those kinds of things a lot more i think the thing that stood out to me is i feel like there's this whole um wizard of oz thing going on that i didn't notice before with okay. we, with uh, Wendy, she she reminds me of Dorothy so much. She she has this kind of farm girl dress a couple of times, uh, with this red and and blue motif. And then <laughs> Danny is like her lost Toto that she's trying to to save. Um, and, and again, like the the fairy tale and mythology is is a big part of like the in the background of the the Shining as well. So like again, the Wizard of Oz thing kind of stuck out to me. Um, and I'm not sure. I doubt I'm the first person to to kind of pick up on that. Yeah, uh, something that really stuck out to me this this watch, uh, as far as performances were concerned, because we, we should talk about the 4K. Uh, we'll, we'll get to that in a second, but um, man, I, I I've so often watched The Shining and tried to figure out what the what the hell is going on in Jack Nicholson's character's head. I'm like, what what is this dude? Like, I don't I don't get it. I couldn't figure out if he was vindictive or hateful or just real sarcastic or just frustrated because he can't write a book. Like, I don't know. I, I couldn't, I couldn't get there. And, and watching it this time, watching it on screen, seeing the way he interacts with Wendy and Danny, it just seems like he just doesn't, he's frustrated because he doesn't know where he wants to be in life. And that leads him to, to resent these characters around him. And it just feels so oddly human. Um, it, like it, in in a weird way, it makes sense. Um, I, I I can understand like why you know he's he's frustrated with himself as a character, and that comes out in his relationships with other people from the very beginning. From when he gets to, to he finishes talking to Stuart Ullman at the hotel in the opening scene, and he calls up Wendy and he says, "Hey, so I'm I'm not, I'm not gonna be home till later." She goes, "Oh, so I guess you got the job then?" And he's like, "Yeah." Uh, so and it just moves right. Like he doesn't he doesn't call her up. Great news, honey. I I did it. I landed this thing. He's just like, no, I'm not gonna be home till later. Like, I'm I'm figuring out a way to not be there. Like, and then they're in the car, and Danny's talking to him, and he's like talking about the Donner Party and cannibals, and like he's just, <laughs> it, yeah, it's like it's like a real it's resentment, okay. and it's real. He saw deep. it on the television. Yeah, he saw it on the television. Yeah, like it's real deep and rooted in there, and like, man, I never, I never really saw that until I watched this this time so so what um, what i've read is that, is that he kind of that's supposed to be like a representation of like a resentment of, of like technology like zach zach jack torrance is a writer a man of the pen and of words and you know his son's all about television well their house is covered in books which is something i guess i had kind of known but this is if you don't mind if we can dip into the 4k for oh, go a second. ahead man go ahead. Uh, the 4K restoration of this film is a sight to behold on the silver screen. I worry if you watch it at home in your living room across the way from your television, it's not going to come across the same way. But man, so many details came out to me. It, it's not it's not the faces, right? It's not the things in the foreground that really popped. It's the things in the background. The Overlook Hotel is a character in this film. It really is. It, it is so much more than just a setting. Yeah, it, it is its own beast. And 
watching the 4K, it's the little details that come alive. It's the color. It's the colors that were just a little dull before that really come out. I never noticed that that Jack and Wendy's apartment is covered in books and also boxes because they're not moved in yet because he's not there to help her. I never noticed that. Uh, in in the pantry, right where where Halloran shows Danny around, I never noticed that that room is full of normal, relatable labels and brands. The only things I ever noticed in there was like the big tubs of Heinz ketchup. You look now, I'm like Oreo, Kool Aid, Nilla wafers are in there. Like things I can relate to and understand mm-hmm. are in that room. All of that never came across. Patterns on the wall in the Colorado room. The rug looks richer. Like so much of the so much of the film just comes alive in the 4K. I couldn't believe how much more I noticed. Um, really stunning stuff. Yeah. Anyway, that's my experience. For me, it, it makes all of it larger than life. Like when you're in the Colorado lounge, like you feel like you're in this giant room. When you're in the hedge maze, you feel like you're lost uh, amongst the the hedges um and and you know one of the things the film does is completely disorient you like no matter how many times i've seen this i never know like what room connects to what like i know individual spots like i know the colorado lounge i know the kitchen i know like you know the hallway to get to the kitchen yeah right yeah but never i know where yeah, the, where their can. quarters are but i have no idea how you would get to their quarters from the colorado lounge like it it's so so it, it it's it just becomes more real. It seems larger than life. And, and you are in that. That's kind of one of the themes. It's the whole maze theme is you're kind of lost in this place. And Kubrick really does manage to nail this kind of timeless look. I know this is a thing in 2001 because of the pop art and kind of art nouveau approach uh, to, to, to the look of things and science fiction. But man, like when they're in the gold room, it looks so classy and like there's so much going on in there and there's a gag a sight gag in there that i never noticed we should talk about that uh when uh oh, grady right uh yeah uh, bumps into him bumps into jack with the with the oh, with the mimosas and jack is clearly frustrated because he's a frustrated man that's just his character and he says and i'm gonna butcher this line he says, oh, look, it looks like you got a spot on, you know, Grady says, well, hey, let's go to the bathroom. I'll help you clean up. And he says, well, sure. It looks like it looks like you got a spot on yourself, too, there, Jeevesy. And he pats him on the back and he smears OJ all over the back of this guy's like nice tux. And I never saw that gag because I never saw the OJ on his back because it was either watching across the room or wasn't watching 4K. I'm not sure. But um, that's just one of those things that comes out. And when they go into the bathroom. When they, when they walk out of the, the, the gold room and they walk into the bathroom and it's this red and white thing, it looks like you stepped into yesterday, man. It looks like something that could be a real bathroom somewhere today mm-hmm. because he had Kubrick had this weird vision for how I wanted to look and it just it looks so postmodern in a way that you it's like you walk into another film. It's it's a crazy looking effect mm-hmm. and and it really pops on in this version. Yeah. Another thing that, that really stands out to me is the, you know, the famous, uh, blood filling the pouring from the elevator, filling the hallway, uh, scene the, that's so much more startling when it's, when it's the size of the room you're in, when it feels like you are being flooded with it. And that's something I hadn't experienced before with, with the film, because I'd, I'd only really seen it on the, the small screen. And again, same thing with when we're following Danny around the halls and he makes a big turn. He sees uh, the, the two twin girls. Again, that's another part where it's just so different on the big screen. Yeah. And, and Kubrick's framing. Well, before I get to that, we should visit, visit the sound again, because when you talk about Danny riding his little like tricycle around his big wheel or around the, the, the hotel, man, the way he 
ramps up the sound of that rumble of the wheels on wood and tile. It's so loud. It is a crazy loud drone. And then he hits carpet and it goes silent. And then he gets off carpet, it just comes right back and it's super loud. And then he goes on a series of carpets. One, two, three. And it's silent, loud, silent, loud, silent, loud. And it's like just this rhythmic kind of drone in a way that like really kind of lulls you into the scene. And then when he rounds the corner and runs in the twins and everything comes to a stop, it's like this really harsh experience that's so subliminal and it comes out of nowhere and I love it. And then if I can just roll right off that, the, the twin scene, it's such an example. It's such a brilliant example of framing because you see the twins down the hall and they're in the background. You have to look way into the frame and then you get a hard cut to the foreground and there's blood all over the place and there's two twins way up on the hall and then you get to cut back to they're in the middle of the frame. It's it's different framing again and they're now here and like your eyes follow it in this really jagged way that is really like unsettling and spooky it's just very effective filmmaking masterful stuff yeah and another thing that stood out to me was the uh the scene in room uh 237 uh when we go in there again because of the size of the screen it that scene is so long and it takes so much of its time but it's it it was so different again seen it in, in the 4k when he when Jack goes into the bathroom and like it, it's brilliant because like you can't really tell if someone's behind that curtain or not like you it's so faint it, it you're thinking it, am I is someone there or am I just seeing it is right. my mind put in there like it's such a great camera trick and it's not until she moves that you realize yes there is someone there and of course it turns out to be this horrible uh, <laughs> with witch thing. <laughs> um, which I never, and that was one of those things I never really, you know, I started to process more th- this watch. I, I always guess, I guess I kind of always thought I didn't, I didn't know what was going on in those scenes. I, I, I was just kind of like, well, that's confusing. Is he seeing things or is that something real? And and this time watching through, it felt like it was the, 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 the overlook, the hotel, whatever evil is in there, whatever that is. Uh, it felt like it was its way of laughing at him. Because it's 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 turning him over, and it's like I it's the Overlook's way of telling Jack I can fool you, I can trick you. Look, look, you're 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 putty in my hands, man. I can do whatever I want to. You know, you're you're mine for the taking, and and I love that. It was so engaging and, and new, and it gave it such a personality, and it gave that scene a totally different feeling. And this is like my fifth time watching this, fifth or sixth time watching this film, and I'm getting something different out of it every time. Like if. The, it's great. Right. Yeah. It's interesting how Jack, um, he lets himself be taken by the overlook. He doesn't, he's not surprised by any, any weird things that appear or, or kind of show up. Oh, and yeah. In fact, he, he does not want to leave. He makes that very clear. Like I, I will not be leaving this hotel. Nobody is leaving this hotel. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, really, really effective stuff. And there was some other point I wanted to make, but I can't, I can't recall what it was. Um, Oh, I want to talk about the, the the people in the audience. We should talk about that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so <laughs> there's definitely a group of people out there who look at The Shining as a casual horror comedy. Maybe that's age, I'm not sure, but there were a lot of people laughing at Jack Nicholson in this film. And to be fair, there were a lot of those scenes that I, I kind of chuckled at too. I never really noticed how goofy his his, his appearance was or how, how he delivered a line or, or how something was said that, that is so startlingly awkward. Um, it will either produce a feeling of, of suspense, of horror, or <laughs> laughter, right? Yeah, yeah. There, there's a, gr- a great example. This this happens with uh, Wendy and Shelley Duvall's character. Um when she's talking to the physician after Danny's kind of fainted and passed out and uh, she, you know, the 
doctor asked, has, has he had an accident or anything? And he was like, well, you know, there was this time, time Jack kind of, he'd been drinking and he kind of yanked on the boy's arm, dislocated his shoulder, but you know, it's fine. And the doctor is there like completely horrified at right. this, this story. And Wendy's trying to tell it like it's, oh, no big deal. He just like, you know, but bubbed, stubbed his toe or bumped his knee. Now he's like, no, like you, you, the boy's father, like committed child abuse. Right. And like, before when I watched that, I was I was really, you know, I, when I watch it alone, when I watch it in silence, when I watch it with headphones on, I'm I'm really like appalled and concerned, you know, and I'm just like, oh man, and it's like people just laughed at it, and like it's funny, you're right, and it gives it like a whole other angle. And, yeah, and, there and there was a lot of that, right? And and I said, like I said after we saw it, there there were scenes I could take it, there were scenes I could leave it. There were, there were certain parts when I I, I really wanted to turn to the person next to me and like, do, do you mind? Like, you know, it, we're in the third act. Like, stop laughing. The movie's getting good. Like, this is, this is where it really comes down to it. You know, this is the, this is the horror. Um, and by then people really did chill out there. In fact, there's a scene towards the end. I'm, I'm sure you can think of which one when, uh, Wendy is running up some stairs, uh, with a knife, trying, trying to figure out how to get out of the hotel and stumbles onto a couple of characters in a bedroom. Uh, uh, I, I figured for sure people were going to laugh and like, no silence. Nobody laughed. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that's a scene that like is, 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 you know, traditionally very, very goofy. Um, and like, no, like people really got into the film and like that, that was really cool to see, to see the shining cast its spell over, uh, an audience again, this many years later really says a lot. And, and I do one more thing. Uh, there, there was a woman sitting in front of us, uh, row directly in front of us. I, she was sitting in front of Andy, and I kind of had the angle because I was sitting next to him, so I could kind of see. Uh, I don't know if this was either her first time seeing The Shining or she just scares easy. Man, she was so much fun to watch during this movie. There were so many spikes and scares and, 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 and things that happened suspense, and she was all over the place, jumping and jolting and, and, and hands clasped and hands over her face in, in one scene. Like, oh, my God, it was so much fun to watch somebody watch this film uh, for what I think was probably the first time. It was a great time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, the 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 theater experience is not just the big screen and the big sound. It's also the big audience. And again, that can really change your perception. That's part of the reason I think you may have caught the the thing of, of Jack wiping his hand on, on Grady's back is because everyone laughed at it. Everybody laughed, yeah. And like I, I had never thought that that was particularly funny, but it is funny in a group for some reason. Right, it's such a it's such a great comedy setup. I think I got a spot on you too, Jeevesy. Pat, like just yeah. perfect timing, like one two, you know. Um, really impressed. Just great, great work, great, great work, man. Kubrick, Kubrick is still sharp, and like I said, like to see a film this old impress so many, like to captivate so many, um, it's really telling, you know. It says a lot about that movie. So. <sighs> Any other thoughts? <laughs> I I think we're good. Obviously, a uh, uh, big uh, endorsement of The Shining, of course. Right. Andy, would you recommend The Shining? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> big time. Uh, 4K restoration, if possible. That, that will probably be the definitive way to watch this film. Really good stuff. And with that, that wraps our show for the week. Excuse our waxing nostalgic about The Shining and my video game chatter. Uh, next week on the show, we're going to look at Aladdin, Disney's new uh, Guy Ritchie film, which like, man, I'm really pulling for Guy Ritchie. Disney's doing pretty good, too. 
I can't wait to see what comes out of this film, especially Blue Blue Will Smith. We're also going to take a look at Brightburn on Netflix and a special mention for Booksmart, the new Olivia Wilde film, her directorial debut. I really want to see it. I'm going to Houston for the weekend. I probably can't put myself in a theater twice, which is why we're going to go with Brightburn. So I'm sorry. That's my bad. But Andy might watch it. And if you do, uh, I'm anxious to hear your thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I don't know. I'm, I'm anxious to, to try and sleep, I, yeah, sleep I, that I, in this weekend. I do want to see, yeah, to be fair, I do want to see it. I, I, It's kind of childish how much I enjoy Superbad. And if you're telling me this is Superbad uh, from a woman's perspective this many years later, I'm like, totally, I'm in. Like, how, how right? Yeah, like, totally. Potential to be awesome, so we'll see. If you enjoyed the show, or if maybe you had some differing opinions about what we thought, or maybe if you were at the Texas Theater, for all I know, and you saw the movie with us, email us at mail at offscriptfilmreview.com and let us know. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Uh, check out our website, offscriptfilmreview.com. Hit us up on Facebook. We're on the Instagram. We're on the Twitter. We're even on YouTube. We're around. So let us know what you got going on. And uh, don't forget to leave a rating and review and subscribe to the show. That's important. Please. That's right. Please. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, let's see. We got next week covered. I did the plugs. I've got everything, right? Is I think it? we're good. <laughs> all right. Well, from all of us at Offscript, the home of Bold Cinema, I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for listening.